The scripture reading for today is from Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the twentieth year, as I was in Susa the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give us success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Welcome all of you to Sunday worship. It is wonderful to see you uh, face to face worshiping our Lord Jesus Christ and those of you uh, who are away last uh, weekend uh, due to Thanksgiving uh, weekend um, it is so good to see you once again and thank you for your prayer and support uh, I was able to come back from a six month of sabbatical uh, rejoining but also to now uh, begin this sermon series uh, by Nehemiah uh, the title is called rebuilding together rebuilding together i think many churches uh, focus on uh, ezra and nehemiah during the pandemic so we wanted to kind of uh, also go through this book of nehemiah once again as a church but uh, we kind of intentionally waited uh, for me to come back from sabbatical because i don't want to say let's rebuild and then disappear so i think it's a timely that now that i'm returned and uh, we are getting ready for next year 2023 uh, envisioning for the next phase of our ministry uh, in fact our pastoral team uh, we're going to a retreat this tuesday through wednesday one night uh, over, uh, overnight retreat with our korean pastors but also all the em uh, lead pastors pastor charles uh, john from downtown and pastor jason from uptown will be going spending uh, two days praying and envisioning for next phase of our church and also for our ministry 2023 so if you can pray and cover us in prayer uh, that would be uh, really uh, helpful 
So today's sermon title is Restoring the Kingdom Vision. God's kingdom vision has a power to restore the ruins in our lives. As I mentioned, uh, for the past three years, uh, many um, relationships and even church community ministry are, are calling for missions have um, affected negatively. And some of the ministries were broken down. I was able to visit uh, some of the places during sabbatical. And um, LA, Los Angeles, uh, as many of you are aware, that has the most uh, Korean immigrant churches outside of Korea. And yet uh, in Koreatown alone, uh, over 100 churches have closed down because of pandemic. And even in our denomination, our presbytery, uh, many churches have closed down due to financial challenges. Some of the congregation members have left. As we read some of the magazines and newspaper of North America alone, uh, they are predicting that almost one-third of churches are in a very difficult situation and they may need to uh, close down. Uh, not only that, uh, even mission field, uh, more than 50% of missionaries have had to return uh, because they couldn't continue on their ministry in their mission field. And due to uh, the suffering with the financial support, uh, many of them, uh, they had to also return because uh, the churches no longer are able to support missionaries financially. We're not just talking about churches and mission field. What about our worship? Uh, many of us returned and are so used to online worship. Uh, now that uh, online worship is like one of the convenient options. So if anything goes, um, or if rains or snows, uh, it is very easy for us to settle with online worship. And if you can worship God in spirit and truth, wholeheartedly, uh, that's between you and God as well. But I find myself, for the past six months, there are several Sundays that I was enjoying uh, online worship, and yet I had to really exercise self-control because if sermon goes more than 20 minutes, my mind wanders, even as a speaker, even as a preacher, and I had to intentionally put myself on a side so that I can worship God and listen to sermon wholeheartedly. So even as a pastor and preacher, if I get tempted to wander around during online worship service, how much more if our kids are running around and if we are not intentional when it comes to Sunday worship, giving all that we have before our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only our online worship, what of our family? Many families have experienced uh, difficulties entering into desert season. The communication broken down between parents and children. Not only that, biblical perspective and authority of scripture is now making huge negative impact in mainline denomination of United States and even in Canada. What about our calling? and purpose. 
that God has called every single one of us to seek God and the kingdom and the glory of God, and yet many of us in the name of safety, security, health, that we have somehow forgotten and forsaken the calling and the mandate that God has given to every single believer. So in that aspect, I believe that Book of Nehemiah is very timely because it has a theme of rebuilding, but not individually, but rebuilding together as a community of God. If you read along uh, the situation, the background of the book was that the wall of Jerusalem and the temple, it was broken down. But despite of the ruins, that God was faithful. And God still works in our lives to restore what is broken down. So I hope and pray that as we hear the word of the Lord through the book of Nehemiah, I want you to really lift up some of the areas that are broken down. And as you commit those areas into the hands of God, that God's power is greater, that God can heal, God can restore. God can restore our church, God can restore your marriage, God can restore your vision that is broken down. And God could restore your purpose and meaning of life as well. And some of you, you feel like, I am ruined. My life is a failure. Or my future is ruined due to my sin or due to my mistake or due to making bad choices in life. And yet, if you are able to come before the Lord through the authority of the Lordship and the place of God and then the word of the Lord and promise of God through his scripture that God can restore your life. So let me begin with the background um, that due to sin and disobedience of Israelites, the nation was split between north and south. The north was called northern Israel and south was called southern Judah. And northern Israel, actually, they never really worshiped God. They never really followed God's word. So it was destroyed very early on by Assyria. And southern Judah was able to maintain uh, due to some of the kings who were faithful before the Lord and God's mercy, grace protected them a lot longer. And yet due to their sin and compromise once again, southern Judah was destroyed by Babylon in 586 B.C. The beautiful temple built by Solomon was destroyed. The wall of Jerusalem was also destroyed by Babylon. Not only that, the royal family and elites, people who are educated, people who are making impact and influence, in southern Judah were captive to Babylon. So they had no choice, but they were forced to go to Babylon and live. So some of the king, royal families, Daniel, his friends, and even uh, spiritual leaders, priests like Ezekiel, they were captured and they had to live in Babylon. But as we see the history, the power the most powerful nation, Babylon, was also crumbled down by Persia. Uh, it's very interesting because Assyria is now known as Assyria. 
Babylon is known as Iraq, and Persia is known as Iran. And these countries, they were kind of taking turn and taking power, and we see again and again there's no power, earthly power that remains forever. The kings rise and fall. So Babylon, after 70 years, were destroyed by Persia. But Persia wanted to approach differently. The Babylon wanted to micromanage. So take all these people and then put them under and then force them to work under Babylon. But Persia was a little more smarter, knowing that, okay, that's not going to last long. So why don't we just empower them, give them a little bit of freedom as long as they obey and then pay tax. So Persia, the king Cyrus said, you know what? If you are being captured, you are free to go. You are free to go back to your own country as long as you are loyal to us, as long as you don't betray us. So there was a mandate of returning. And yet, surprisingly, the Jews in Babylon, uh, many of them, majority of them, didn't want to go back to Jerusalem. Why not? Because they were settled. They were comfortable after 70 years. Can you imagine? Maybe uh, some of, most of our congregation members, your parents are immigrants. I don't know when your parents came. Maybe 40 years ago, 50 years ago. But if you see the first generation who've been here over 70 years, they will have their children who are born, raised, and settled. And not only the grandchildren, probably in their like 20s and 30s. And all of a sudden, even if you have a freedom to go back to your own parents' country, how many of us will go back? Probably majority of us will just decide to stay here. Not only that, uh, Jerusalem was ruined. There's nothing. It was a desert, destroyed. It's like mission field. So many of them, even though they had a freedom and they had the choice to go back, they decided not to go. The question is, what made Nehemiah and some other people to return to Jerusalem? The history says Nehemiah in BC 445 decided to return in order to rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the wall. And people like Ezra also returned for the restoration of the city of God, temple of God. It was only one reason. It was God's call, and it was a kingdom vision. Now, I'm not saying that now we need to have a kingdom vision to go back to our own parents' country. That's not what I'm saying, but we're talking about restoring what God has given to every single one of us. So today, I would like to focus on God's kingdom vision. Number one, a vision begins as godly concern and desire. Godly concern and desire. Now, everybody has concern and desire. All of us. Whether we are Christian or non-Christian, everyone has concern. Brothers and sisters, what is your deepest concern and desire today? What consumes you? What do you care the most? 
Many parents, we are concerned about our children, their education. Uh, some of the parents uh, came uh, to me and then asked whether we will consider, ever consider Christian school. And I think that's a big topic. And I think we have to be really discerning and careful because money alone will not be able to build the school. And yet, many parents are concerned about more of a secularized education. And how do we really keep them, our children, with the authority of God's scripture? Is it a matter of school or is it a matter of discipleship at home? Or is it a matter of influence at church? I think these are so many different layers of questions that we need to ask. When I went to Korea during sabbatical, many parents are concerned about kids' university. When I went to some of the affluent area called Gangnam, average of parents spend about four to five thousand dollars every month to raise to send them to extracurricular. That's crazy. And then by high school, they send them to like a foreign school so that their kids will be able to prepare through SAT. So I have seen that. And they spend like so much money every month. And then after they graduate, I kind of see them. And then many of them, they come to U of T or like NYU. So in fact, if you are here, like you made money. And yet that's what they do. They sell their house, they sell their investment to send their kids so that they learn English and then they somehow go to university somewhere. Some of us are very consumed and concerned about investment. I know some people like, you know, build or buy a house and then renovate and flip. And that's what they do. Or some of us, we care about stock market when we wake up early in the morning instead of uh, doing devo we look at our bank statement bitcoin finance what do we really desire what are some of our concerns in our lives as we come back to book of nehemiah nehemiah's concern and desire It's about rebuilding the wall. It was not something vague or superficial. I I just want to love God. I just want to serve God. It was not vague. It was not up in the air. But it was very concrete. As he saw something that was ruined for the city of God, the temple of God, he wanted to be part of it, to rebuild. That's why he was asking this question. Usually we ask questions around what we are concerned, right? Is it safe? Is it fun? Is it worthwhile? What are some of our questions? What are our prayers? But Nehemiah's concern was the city of God. That's why in verse 2, Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. Nehemiah's concern was about the Jews, but it was really about God's people. It was Jerusalem, God's temple, and God's wall, honor, glory. That's why when his brother came back from Jerusalem, he asked immediately. And this was a report by his brother in verse 3. 
The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. When Nehemiah heard, his heart broke down. Brothers and sisters, when was the last time that your heart was aching? That your heart is broken down concerning God's kingdom or God's ministry, God's church, God's people. We care so much about other things. We deeply care and we think that it is worth of pouring our life and our time, our resources. And I'm not putting those things down, and yet our hearts deeply care for those, and yet we don't really have any care or concern about when it comes to God's kingdom, God's glory, God's ministry, what's going on in the mission field, what's going on with the people who are aching. Then maybe our calling our heart for God has been ruined or there's a disconnection. Maybe many of us, we feel disconnected from what's going on outside because we feel comfortable. But Nehemiah, you know, humanly speaking, he was living a comfortable, luxurious life. In verse 11, he says, it says that he was a cupbearer. And some of us may think that, okay, cupbearer, what does cupbearer do? It's like a bartender to the king. But it was a highly ranked position because during that time in Babylon and Persia, there were a lot of assassination or uh, people tried to kill king. So, um, the cupbearer was basically uh, protecting the king and every single meal, cupbearer will taste the king's drink. So someone that the king was able to trust completely, not only testing the drink, but every single meal that the cupbearer will have a conversation with the king, helping and providing advice. If you read the book of Esther, who was the queen to the king, cannot even go to meet king whenever she wants. King has to call the queen to come. So queen had no permission to see king whenever she wanted. And yet cupbearer will be able to spend time with the king every single day, three meals a day. And even at night, when King invites a VIP for a drink. According to Raymond Brown in commentary, therefore, the cupbearer was ranked number three, king and the prince and the cupbearer. So can, can you imagine, as a Nehemiah, the second gen, or maybe 2.5, the Jew, who made it to the top? We're talking about chief of secretary.
Another reason that I love Nehemiah was that Nehemiah was not priest. He was not full-time pastor, but he was like you, who is a professional, who grew up and making impact and highly influenced person as a lay person. So Nehemiah, who made it to the top, highly respected, who has authority and influence over many people's lives, living in the palace, enjoying his privilege, honor, recognition, even though he was far away from Jerusalem, his heart was aching. He was crying out. He didn't say, well, I'm, as long as I am fine, as long as my immediate family is safe, we're living comfortable, luxurious life. You know, people who are in Jerusalem, it's too bad. It is unfortunate. And that was not the way that Nehemiah took it on. Brothers and sisters, what kind of Jesus do we believe? What kind of Jesus do we follow? Maybe some of us, we pursue Jesus, not necessarily in line with the scripture, but someone that we wish him to be. Someone who can provide us comfortable lifestyle so that we can compromise, does not rebuke, does not cost anything so that we can live comfortable, prosperous life. Many parents, we want to raise our children like a rich young ruler in the gospel to the point where the he or she had so much so that cannot follow Jesus. David Platt, in his book Radical, he says many of North American Churches and believers have created Jesus in this way. It says, a nice middle-class American Jesus, a Jesus who doesn't mind materialism, who would never call us to give away everything we have, a Jesus who would not expect us to forsake our closest relationships so that he receives all our affection, a Jesus who is fine with nominal devotion and does not infringe on our comforts because after all he loves us just the way we are a jesus who wants to be balanced who wants us to avoid dangerous extremes and who for that matter wants us to avoid danger altogether a jesus who brings us comfort and prosperity as we live out our christian spin on the american dream or a canadian dream So that we come to church to worship, we pray, and yet oftentimes we lift up our prayer based on our worldly concern, not godly concern. And yet we are fine with it, and that's one of the indicators that maybe our heart for God has broken down. Maybe there's a disconnection with the heart of God. Are we pursuing worldly concern or are we pursuing godly concern? The difference between those two is that those who have worldly concern end up always worry, anxious, and feel restless. 
But on the other hand, those who have a godly concern, we pray. We seek the heart of God. And if your concerns are mainly had nothing to do with the word of the Lord, calling and purpose and mission of God, if a majority of our prayer is just worldly concern and has nothing to do with the glory of God and following the word of the Lord, I think the Holy Spirit is speaking to us once again. Are we fine? Are we okay with that? In verse 4, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept, mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before God of heaven. Is there something that is worthwhile for us to pray? Is there something that is worthwhile for us to cry? It is something that worthwhile for us to even fast. Is there something that we are passionate? Any of our previous generation are concerned that, you know, some of us, like, maybe we're not passionate enough. We're not passionate enough. It is very difficult to see young people or even children being passionate, right? But passion, the word passion came from the root Latin word, passio. It means suffering, pain. So in fact, passion comes from pain. Suffering. But if you are able to turn your pain, suffering into the heart of God, God sanctifies the pain into passion. But when we fail to do that, we become jaded. For me, I'm passionate about building a healthy church. Because when I was in high school, I experienced church split. That half of my friends kind of disappeared over one Sunday because parents found. When I was a youth pastor in Pasadena, that church also experienced church split. It was aching my heart. So I'm passionate for church to become healthy. I'm passionate about having good relationship with the first, second, and third, and multi-generations, and the multi-language, or people who are wherever they're from, that if we are able to build not based on our culture, but based on the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you are passionate to help other people through counseling, because you have seen some of your friends or some of your family have broken down. You suffer, you have pain. But you turn to God and God has given you passion. Praise God. Some of you have a passion because you want to use your profession for the glory of God. And that's wonderful. But sometimes we spoil some of our loved ones from any kind of pain, any kind of suffering, and no wonder why they're so comfortable and they have no purpose, they have no passion in their lives. Nehemiah had pain. He cried. He wept. 
And he turned to God, and God turned that into passion. And he begins to pray in verse 8, 9. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandment and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. What he was basically doing was that, Lord, I'm passionate about believing in your promise. Not based on what is ruined, but Nehemiah began to focus on the promise of God. And that is the beginning. Brothers and sisters, let's not fixate it on what is ruined, but let us focus on the promise of God. And as we passionately believe that the word of the Lord will come alive, that's when God will restore our vision towards him. Brothers and sisters, oftentimes we pray aimlessly for our wants and our needs and our desires. Last Sunday we talked about that. I would say a majority of our prayer is like, God, can you do this? Can you fix this? But do we have a God's concern in our hearts? And if we can place all those things into and towards God, God will begin to sanctify our concern and our desire. Secondly, vision becomes real when concern turns into calling. The problem of the many congregation members, if we are not careful, if we are not intentional, we have a vision, we have a dream. But then even 10 years, it just remains as a vision. It just remains as a dream because we don't do anything about it. We don't follow up. And what happens is that oftentimes when we don't follow up, our concern becomes frustration. We get angry. We get annoyed. We get jaded. Our hearts become hardened. And I share this even before many times our concern may turn into either God-given calling or criticism. It can either become holy burden or blaming. For example, when you see something broken down in your family, the relationship or communication, you can respond in two different ways. You can either take that as God's call, God's sign for you to do something about it, or you can just criticize the circumstance. When you come to church, there is no perfect church. There is no ideal church. And yet when we see something broken down, something lacking, we can either blame other people, finger point, or we can take that on as a holy burden. How do you normally respond? Do you blame? Do you take it as a holy burden? Do you criticize? Do you take it as a holy calling in your life? You can turn your concern towards God 
or you can turn your concern towards people or circumstance. Yet at the end of the day, those who always turn to people, circumstance, finger point, criticize, blame, will never grow and never break through. But people who take it as a holy burden, holy calling, will grow, will see some of the things in their lives being transformed. When your children do not know the word of the Lord, you can blame your Sunday school teacher. You can blame uh, church education, you know, what's wrong with it. Or you can take that as a calling. You know what? I spend a lot more time with my children than Sunday school teacher one hour on Sunday. Maybe I need to do something. God has concern for us. But it didn't stay, just remain as a concern. God did something about it. So he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. That was Jesus' calling. The restoration of kingdom, accomplishing, completing the work of God, was through the obedience and calling of Jesus Christ and becoming real and something tangible. In the same way that you and I, we want to experience God? We want to experience God really working through our lives? Then we have to take that as a calling and live out, do something about it. You can have a wishful thinking, you can pray all you want, and yet you never take that as a calling and actualize it, it will not going to happen. So what are some of the areas broken down? What are some of the areas that you are frustrated, unhappy, dissatisfied, weak, inconvenient? Brothers and sisters, you have two different responses. Are you going to just blame all you want? Or are you going to take that as a holy burden for God's kingdom? In fact, our, when our hearts grow closer to the heart of God, our concern our desire becomes sanctified and sanctified. And that's when we're able to pray and seek. Andy Stanley, in his book, Visioneering, said, visions are born in the soul of a man or a woman who is consumed with a tension between what is and what could be done. that God is calling for every single one of us. In fact, he gives us two major callings in our lives. First calling is when we are born again. Every born again Christian has God's call as a child of God to live for the glory of God. That you and I, we have calling as a son and daughter, the citizen of God's kingdom. And that is the most fundamental basic calling but second calling is based on what God has given to you specifically through, it could be education, experience, your background, your skill, your spiritual gifting, anointing, whatever that is. What is God-given calling in your life? 
If you've been Christian and you've been church for many, many years and you still cannot figure out or you don't know what is God's calling in your life, that would be tragic. Because all you're doing is not being able to focus on how the God has shaped you. God has created you. God has saved you. And I hope and pray that every single person at New Hope, you don't need to be a full-time pastor or missionary. In fact, Nehemiah, like I said, he was not a pastor. And that's why I love him. And I love preaching about Nehemiah. Because many times we hear someone, pastor or preacher or missionary, oh, that because he and she is a full-time pastor or missionary. Nehemiah, who made it to the top, cupbearer. And I want to end with this. It's a beautiful last verse. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. What is the implication to you? This line, to me, you can take it either positively or negatively. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. You could take it as, a, wow, you know, now he has a privilege. He has access to the king. He can use it as opportunity for the kingdom of God. Or on the other hand, you can turn that around and say, oh, because I have a cupbearer, I cannot do it. I have so much to lose. I made it to the top. No way giving it up. Now I was a student who doesn't have a job. Now I'm a senior who retired. Now I'm a full-time mom. Now I, now I have a job that is so demanding. Do you see that as a God-given opportunity for you to live out God's calling, or do you take that as a hindrance and excuse? Is God worth for us to pursue through our privilege, opportunity, or even some of the challenges and obstacles in our lives? It is my prayer that our children, our next generation, will rise up so that they will be like Nehemiah. They will be like Esther. They may go into highly influenced position, but not for their security, but for kingdom vision. It is my prayer that our congregation will take this on. I'm not saying that quit our job and now do full-time ministry. But that will be your mission field. That will be God's calling, the place where you need to live out. But I hope and pray that it will be a place where that you are concerned and desire for God's kingdom. Let me conclude today's message. God is still looking for those who are seeking after the kingdom vision and desire. Let's pray together. As we 
reflect on today's message. Brothers and sisters, what, what are your concerns and desires? What are you consumed today? When you wake up in the morning, what are you consumed? In your prayer, what takes majority of your prayer? It is not to judge, judge or condemn, but I think it will be a gentle reminder for us to reflect where we are. Maybe some of us, we see, yeah, you know what, my heart is really disconnected from the heart of God. Instead of really aching for God's people, God's will and purpose, I've been aching for something else. Lord, I want to come back. Lord, bring my heart to you. Help me to cry out for what breaks your heart. Lord, I've been blaming. I've been criticizing. But Lord, would you sanctify my heart so that instead of complaining, criticizing, and blaming, Lord, I take that on as a holy burden, holy calling in my life. I may not be able to change the world, but I may actually just do something about it. Let's spend some time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we see many areas that are ruined or even broken down. We panic, distressed, disappointed, even angry, or some of us have given up. Lord, your power of your word can restore anything in our lives. So we hold on to not the circumstance or people, but we hold on to your promise. Lord, would you restore our heart, our faith, and turn that into kingdom vision in our hearts and begin to seek you once again. Father, we pray for our congregation members, especially our younger students, young adults, and our children, and those of us who are in uh, some of the places that you have given to us in our job, or even relationship, the sphere of family and relationship, Lord, that we will take that as a privilege, not as a hindrance. In Jesus' name we pray.